Okay, why would God want to become one of us? This is part three, that everybody is somebody. And let me begin this way. We all grew up at some point being made fun of for something that we could have helped or we might not have helped. You know, as a toddler, you said, you know, that you said a word that was not right, but it was so cute and your family laughs. Now, they might not be laughing at you and making fun of you, but it's just cute. And over and over again, they try to make you say it again and again, you know, and so we all can laugh. As you get older, of course, you correct saying that word like you did. But there are things we can be made fun of that we cannot help. This might happen in school with other kids. Some physical feature kids make fun of or personality feature kids make fun of. Even the bully. We have experienced that. And, we, and if, you haven't, if you haven't experienced that, you've either watched somebody else that has experienced that. But understand that respect for an individual is not a natural thing. For some reason, we have the mindset that might makes right. We can flex our muscles, put someone underneath our feet in domination, and that feels more natural. For it's natural to want to stay ahead of others. And when we look at our world and we try to understand how come they treat children that way, or why do they treat women that way, or why do they treat others who are not like them in that way, and there is that which seems more natural, that is, to crush them underfoot. And what is, and what is wrong with these people who do this? not knowing that don't human beings have value, and they should know that they do have value. But natural is what happens in school, in, devow in devouring a person because of some physical or emotional condition. And here's what I don't like about you, and they power up. What is natural? If I have advantage over you, I will leverage it. So natural is if you, want, if you are a little different than me, then I'm going to point out how you are different than me and the natural power up over you. Either we've been guilty of this or we have witnessed this. But listen, to give value to a human being is something that we learn. It's not an assumed value. This idea that human beings have value is not just something we have been told, but we have to learn it too. We put value to human beings into our Declaration of Independence so that we can learn as a new nation this learned truth. We hold these truths to the self-evident that all men were created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So we have to secure these rights. Why? Because they are not natural. What is natural is to make fun of people that are different than you. Natural is to power up over people. Natural is discrimination. Natural is prejudice. Natural is we don't like them. Natural is we don't like him or her. Even though self-evident is all all is equal, yet natural is not always self-evident. We need help in this area. Let me ask a question. Is it self-evident to exercise three times a week? Good question. It's not natural, but maybe self-evident. Uh, it's self-evident that we should eat fruits and vegetables, right? But we don't. Why? Because we opt for what is natural over self-evident. Not to exercise is more natural than to exercise. I should order vegetables as a side with my meal. That is self-evident, but I order fries because that feels more natural. Listen, Jesus came to earth to take what is self-evident and bring it to the top so that we will not miss it. That's our topic for today in this third lesson. And the reason that God came to become one of us is to make something so self-evident that we would not miss it. So our theme of this series, why would God want to become one of us, live as one of us, one of us amongst us? Why? 
other than the obvious to die for our sins and to secure us into heaven. So today, what we want to see and understand of Jesus coming was to uplift the self-respect of the individual along with uplift the self-worth of the individual. See, when Jesus started his earthly ministry 30 years ago, people were 100% merchandise. People were owned, not just as slaves, but across the board in the first century. People never thought that God would keep them accountable to the treatment of others. This was the great Roman thinking. So people were owned with no thought this was wrong with God. There was a pecking order to slavery. There were household slaves. There were field slaves. There were salt mining slaves in the first century. Children had no rights. Parents weren't even sure if they wanted to keep them, and many were not named until months later after the kids survived or passed the test. Women had no rights. They had no opportunity to choose whom they would marry, even if to be married. They had no right in what jobs they would pursue, even if they could even pursue a job. So the individual had no value in that world, in that world. And if you had power, you had fame, you had money, then you were viewed as being blessed of God. With that blessing comes more power, more wealth, and more fame. But if you were not in that percentile of people, then you had little or no rights. So this was how the world turned during that time. There was no self-worth or self-respect for the individual. And then Jesus comes along, and he begins to teach about the self-worth and the self-respect of the individual. The story of the Good Samaritan is a great example of that, where Jesus talks about a person who is an outcast, a half-breed, and makes him the hero of the story. This Samaritan finds a Jew beat up and half dead and crosses discriminational lines and did the self-evident of helping this man. A Samaritan that showed more grace and compassion, more mercy than the priest and the teacher of the law who did what was natural and walk around the guy and not get involved. There's also the parables in Luke 15 of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And Jesus emphasized the importance of the lost coin, the importance of of the lost sheep and the importance of the second born lost son. The first born son gets most of the inheritance, but the value of the second born is nothing. And then add in his rebellious, his rebellion to his dad and disrespect and give me what is owed to me. So Jesus uplifting the value of items, be it the coin, be it the sheep, then he caps it off with the lost second born rebellious son. Because when he realized the grass is not green on the other side, and he's returning son. He was hoping the father would accept him as a slave because he knew he was not worthy ever to be a son. But Jesus, but it says when the father saw him, he ran to his son. He put his hand, he put his arms around him. He began to kiss on his neck. And then he told everybody to bring, you know, to kill the fattened calf, to bring the robe, to bring the ring, to put sandals on his feet. Sandals always signify he was a son. Bare feet was always a slave, showing that this father is going to show great love to his son. He's not going to demote him down to a slave. So there was this self-worth that the father gave to a rebellious son in that way. But not only did Jesus teach these kinds of things, but Jesus also lived it out himself. Which, you know, which is, which is great because in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman, Jesus and the disciples, you know, should not have traveled that way through Samaria, but they did. But Jesus is sitting by the well waiting for the disciples to go into town and to get supplies. And as he is sitting there, a Samaritan woman comes to the well alone, communicating, we're telling us, that she was an outcast. She was by herself. Other people did not want to be around her. And Jesus begins a conversation with her. 
men don't do that. And when the disciples returned and saw Jesus talking to this woman, they were in shock. Are you kidding me? But in Jesus' interaction, he was uplifting the dignity, the self-worth of an individual, this woman, that was deep into sin. Jesus not only crossed discriminational lines, he crossed gender lines, and he crossed sinner lines. He lived out what he taught. All those lines were to show self-respect and self-worth. And the two tax collectors, Matthew and Zacchaeus, these were hated, despised men among the Jews. For they were Jewish, but working for the Romans and ripping off their own countrymen. You can't be more of the scum of the earth than that. They were the worst kind of sinner, and no one would ever find themselves associating with them. And when Jesus called Matthew to come and follow him, he did. And Matthew threw a big party, and Jesus let him pick the guest list for the party and said, I will be there. And who did Matthew pick to be at the party? <laughs> sinner, obvious sinners. And Jesus shows up and he hangs out and he breaks bread with them, uplifting even the self-worth of sinners, again, like the woman at the well. And in the same way, when he called Zacchaeus, Jesus invited himself over to his house to hang out with his sinful friends and to eat with them. In Jesus' interaction, he elevates a person's value and self-worth, no matter what his culture said, but this is what God's kingdom says. You have value. Jesus gave dignity and respect across the board, showing it to people of all classes of life. Even human beings have value and worth in the kingdom of God. Every human being does. So don't do what is natural, but do the self-evident. And think about this with me. Not only did Jesus uplift the self-worth of the individual, not just in his teaching and interaction, but he did it through his death. If we really believe that God sent his son into the world to die for the sins of mankind, you see at the cross, every single human being dignity was raised to a level that no one deserved. And Paul echoed this in Romans chapter 5 in verses 6 through 11, where he talked about while we had no strength, while we were in our sin, while we were ungodly, and that Jesus died for the sinners, that he died for our enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's us. That us includes the person who spitefully misused you, that us is the person you cannot stand. The us is, the, is our enemies. The us are those that we are prejudiced towards. The us is Islam. And here it is. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Jesus' world, now he lived, there were not good people and bad people. There were not righteous people and unrighteous people. There were not purely moral or immoral or the in people and the out people. When, he, when you study it more deeply, Jesus never made a clear indication of Jews that were in and Gentiles that were out. Sure, he came for the lost sheep of Israel, but he crossed over to the Gentile lines all the time. Jesus lived, taught, interacted, and died <coughs> without labels. Jesus saw people, our people, all in the image of God himself. And that's what he saw. And it wasn't as if Jesus put on blinders and ignored the sin, not at all. Sure, he came, he came for that way, but he did not do that because he saw the hearts of all men, the hearts of all women, the hearts of all teenagers. And what God and what Jesus saw, they were really not much different at all because all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And when anybody thinks they are righteous, in God's eyes, it's nothing more than filthy rags. That's why Jesus lived, taught, interacted, and died without labels. 
Jesus didn't die a little bit more for some people and a little bit less for others because from his vantage point, we were all sinners separated from God and desperately in need of a Savior. But on the flip side of this, think about Jesus had a very low tolerance for self-righteousness. When somebody thought themselves better than another, there was no filter on Jesus. Some born in fame, money, and power has the mindset that God has blessed them, that they are something with God and God's watching over them. Case in point, of course, is the religious leaders. Jesus snapped quickly to speak. Jesus just had a very low tolerance for self-righteousness, for he understood we all are just basic shades of gray. There's not a whole lot of difference we have from one another. And whenever someone tries to use the word of God to hurt people or alienate people or put people down or threaten people, you can be sure they are completely on the wrong side of God. Yes, we want to use God's word to exhort people. We want to use God's word to reproof someone because the Bible tells us we're to use God's word in that, in that way. And the same with Jesus. He didn't hold back on reproofing the self-righteous or the hypocrites. He didn't hold back on exhorting the disciples, but never to twist the word and threaten them or put them down or alienate them. And from Jesus' perspective, everyone was basically in the same boat. It's a sinking boat, a doomed voyage of life. But to view yourself as I'm okay, I'm good with God, and then power up with others and I'm better than them, you know, listen very carefully. Jesus displayed a low tolerance for that. So the next time, Christian, you go to the foot of the cross of Jesus, understand you lose the right to discriminate against anyone. Let it be, let me just add to it, for any reason at all, because true Christianity would make us the most non-discriminating group in all the world, bar none. People will criticize us for being narrow when it comes to Jesus being the only way. They'll persecute us because of our belief in Jesus, yet if they could see us treating people with dignity, not just Christians, but all the world, they would marvel at that characteristic of us. That might overshadow all the other things they find hard to swallow about Christianity. If we could get this right, and what Jesus was communicating to us and why he would become one of us, then our faith would change the world, I believe. You know, we may all be different, yes, but no one is better than another. We may be different color, but no one is better than another. When I leave here today, or I leave from this lesson right now, and I think I'm better than someone else because I have an education and they don't, or I have a better job than they do, or I work harder than they do, or I work out and they don't, I'm in shape and they're not, and I think I'm better. Once again, Jesus has a low tolerance with that kind of an attitude, and that's not what God is about. Everybody is somebody.